This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched Rosemary's Baby, and we learned that we don't want any children. And tonight at dinner, we're going to tell them. to episode three of Honey, You Should Watch This. We are your hosts. I am Susan. Hi, Susan. I'm Hi. Greg. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. You're welcome. See, I oh, remembered this year. Oh, you did. Yeah. You did. Sort of. Uh, when we're done here, we got to go get you something. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably the choice of the movie that made you consider how you could be a better husband, maybe. What? Maybe? What? what? Me? Ugh. Uh, there are plenty of lighters in this house. <laughs> we didn't watch Hereditary. Oh. oh. Um, so, again, so to, to bring everybody up to speed on our last episode where we talked about Suicide Squad, I gave you a choice at the end of the show um, because I wanted, because we were so close to Halloween that I wanted to take horror for a spin. So I gave you the choice of The Babadook, Hereditary, or Rosemary's Baby. And obviously, from the intro, you all can figure that Greg chose Rosemary's Baby. Why'd you choose it, Greg? Because it's Rosemary's Baby. It, Fair I mean, enough. It, it, it's a 1966, 1968 movie that I'd never seen that is, I, it's iconic in, in, in film history. So the whole point of this is to see stuff like that. And um, quite honestly, uh, who wants to watch uh, the, the Babadook? I mean... I do. Oh, oh, okay. I've heard. <laughs> I, I heard it was very good, and I'd heard that Hereditary it's, was very good. But I, yeah. I chose this one simply because Th- this I mean, is a nice foundation. Yeah, for that kind of yeah. And it's it's it, there's a lot there's a lot to this movie, and I've heard a lot about it. And I said, you know what? It's time that I watched something that other people like. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> So why don't I give us all the rundown? I would appreciate that, because I don't remember this movie at all. This movie is a mother. All right, Rosemary's Baby is a 1968 American psychological horror film written and directed by the infamous Roman Polanski, although he probably wasn't infamous at the time. And it's based on a book of the same name by Ira Levin. It is set in 1965, New York City, and the story centers around Rosemary Woodhouse, who moves into a brand new apartment with her actor husband, Guy. Douche. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that later. He's one of my top villains, definitely. So Guy and Rosemary are told by their friend Hutch that this apartment building they're moving into called the Bramford has a very dark past, including associations with cannibalism and murder. So when Rosemary moves in, uh, she finally meets someone her age, a woman named Terry. um, And she's living with Rosemary's elderly neighbors, who are Minnie and Roman Cassavet. Some days later, Terry is found dead on the sidewalk after having suffered a fall from the seventh floor apartment of the Cassavets. After the incident, 
Marini and Roman take to Rosemary and Guy, and Guy seems to take to them, but Rosemary finds them increasingly intrusive. After Guy is suddenly cast in a lead role to replace an actor who has suddenly gone and mysteriously gone blind, Guy suggests that he and Rosemary start a family. Rosemary is so thrilled that she doesn't notice that the normally self-absorbed Guy is suddenly so in tune with her body that he knows when her ovulation window is, and he plans a romantic night, which includes a special dessert made by Minnie. That same night, Rosemary gets dizzy and passes out, and the next morning she tells Guy about her odd dreams about being raped by something not quite human, and she has scratches all over her body. The Castavets get even more intrusive after Rosemary finds out she's pregnant, and they insist she leave her obstetrician and instead see their good friend, Dr. Abraham Saperstein. Saperstein tells Rosemary to stay away from books and vitamins and friends and people <laughs> and stay inside <laughs> and just let Minnie make this, rose, this daily drink for Rosemary, and that will keep her in tip-top health. And homeopathic healthcare makes its first introduction, gets its first introduction into film. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, that really been working out for Rosemary. Oh dear, <laughs> listen, the vitamin companies are just there to take your money. <laughs> uh, the pregnancy is not going well because it causes Rosemary, Rosemary a great deal of pain. She loses weight. She looks very pale and sickly. But any attempts uh, she makes to try to get a second opinion are discouraged by Guy and the Cassavettes. Rosemary uh, starts to suspect her neighbors aren't who they seem to be. And when she talks to her friend Hutch, he tries to do some research on the herbs that are in her health drink. Uh, he suddenly and also mysteriously falls into a coma the next day. After Hutch dies a few months later, uh, a book is delivered to Rosemary, and she starts to think and become suspicious about why the Cassavettes are so interested in her baby. And when she finds out what's really going on, it's too damn late. Could it be Satanist? So the film stars Mia Farrow as Rosemary Woodhouse, John Cassavetes as her douche of a husband guy, Ruth Gordon as Minnie Cassavet, who has won an Academy Award for her role in this film, Sidney Blackmar as Roman Cassavet, Maurice, Maurice Evans as their friend Hutch, and it features a Mr. Ralph Bellamy Mortimer, as Dr. Abraham Saverstein, Charles Grodin in his first movie role as Dr. Hill, and a 1930s star, film star, Patsy Kelly, as another nosy Bramford neighbor. So, when you, before we hit play on this film, Greg, what were you expecting? Well, let me ask you this first. Why did you pick this movie for me to watch? Oh, good question. Good question. Uh, this Jesus, I didn't know you were mad at me. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. Oh, but you are now. But sweet. <laughs> um, it's gonna be a great I, day in the neighborhood, folks. Woohoo! Great anniversary weekend. Woo! Starts with a fight. Okay, so the reason I chose this film as one of the few films is these the three movies that I chose for you are all kind of on my top ten favorites list. Rosemary's Baby is. I feel 
an important film uh, simply because of the time in it was made. Um, horror films, uh, that especially the kind of horror films that I enjoy, um, are more often than not commentaries on the general zeitgeist of the, the time. Right? You look at a horror movie, like even, even if you look at Shaun of the Dead, okay, which is a comedy, it does have some social commentary in it because it's about boys or men who aren't quite really growing up and, and you know, taking charge of their life and and what follows these guys as they're, you know, Sean needs to start taking responsibility and agency through this whole zombie crisis. So uh, with Rosemary's Baby, um, it was released in 1968. So there were a lot of, women's issues obviously that that were going on a lot of women couldn't uh do the things that they can do today um they couldn't get a credit card until the 1970s um on their own without their husband having to co-sign for it they they weren't uh, allowed on juries they uh would it's basically you know in and around that time so you've got those themes in it you've got a lot of different themes and and this is ultimately um something that you can rewatch and kind of pick something out of it again and again and again, which I really like that about a film. Okay. Those are, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Am I doing what? <laughs> oh, being, being a guy, guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. So you asked me, what was I expecting? Uh, I expected, a story-driven movie, because that's what film used to be. Uh, unfortunately, it's hard to watch a movie that's 50 years old and not know the plot mm-hmm. or the spoilers. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew what I was going to see going into it, which is unfortunate, because I think having the opportunity to see this movie without knowing what was going on would make it that much better of a movie. I was expecting a little more spook, a little more, a little more creepy. Mm-hmm. But what I got was very satisfying. Yeah, it's it's definitely the book is a lot different from the movie in that in the book um, you don't know what's going on, and it it it's only until the end where you find out that she was indeed raped by the devil um, as orchestrated by this coven and she gave birth to the Antichrist. In the movie, Roman Polanski really wanted to kind of plant that seed for lack of a better term up front, but also not put the supernatural in your face and always kind of leave this question mark about whether or not Rosemary was reliable as the narrator. And so we see the things through her drugged state that point to this is really happening, right? You've got the whole entire coven watching this thing with Guy there. Um, you have this evidence in the next day of him, her being scratched up. So you, you as an audience, kind of know what's going on. Um, and even though you're rooting for Rosemary to kind of grab some agency in this thing and kind of take control, you're always reminded it's it's too late, man. 
Because even if she breaks away, she's still pregnant with the devil's baby. So she's not walking away from this. Well, she only had one choice, and that wasn't something that they talked about in 1966. Well, they, they did talk they, about it. They mentioned it, it you know? but I, what I mean is, is it was not... It was not a widely accepted, mm-hmm. it was not very popular at the time. So even if you wanted to do it, it would have been a, a big, huge rigmarole. And she probably, knowing the way the country was back then, probably would have had to have his permission to get that done. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't know. We'd have to, I'd have to look into that. Yeah, but. So there's, there's a lot of, this film is, is really, it's a, it's an invasion film in a way because everybody's in her space. Everybody's telling her what to do. Uh, she can't keep the elderly neighbors out of her apartment. She she can't have a friend over without yeah, somebody those... being there. And and and, that, and then she's pregnant, so it's invading her from the inside too. Those two people are why you don't live next door to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's brilliant about this film and. And what, as I said before, when you when you can kind of watch a film and, and take something new from it again and again and again, um, I really appreciated the fact that you can start to see the machinations at work and how Minnie and Roman are really wolves in sheep's clothing. And this nosy old lady act she's got going on is actually quite useful and um, there's a clip that I, I picked, uh, which is Minnie. Um, at, this is the day after they um, they find that that Terry's dead, uh, and they the night that her body is found is the night that we first, as an audience, meet Minnie and Roman, and Rosemary and Guy first meet Mary uh, Minnie and Roman. Um, so Rosemary again, and this is her fatal flaw in this movie. Um, one of the things that, that you see in horror movies is people who get themselves into trouble are usually doing things that they should ought not to do. At least, you know, as far as society is saying. So the big, the big one is yeah. premarital sex. Teenagers having just, sex just are the ones who, who are going to die in, in slasher yes. movies. Yes. So Rosemary's fatal flaw is she's so nice and she's so polite. And some of it's just because she's a nice Midwestern girl. She's Catholic upbringing that she tries to comfort Minnie and Roman the night that they find Terry and says, oh, she said so many nice things about you. And they're like, oh, you knew her. You knew her. So the next day you've got Minnie showing up, taking an interest in Rosemary, probably trying to find out what it was that Terry told her. Um, trying to find out, um, and the the unspoken uh, subtext in all of this is that they were going to use Terry for the exact same reasons that Rosemary ends up getting used for in this film, which is to conceive the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was also, in this clip, kind of feeling her way around who Guy and Rosemary are. And prior to this section of, of this clip, she's asking, do they have children? Do they plan to have children? So in this clip, she's asking a little bit more to learn about Guy. Hello. 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 Hello.
Hello, how are you? Fine. May I come in a minute? Yes, of course. Please do. I just come over to thank you for saying those nice things to us the other night. Oh, no, please. Poor Terry. We thought maybe we failed her some way. Though her note made it crystal clear we hadn't. She'll never know how helpful it was in such a shock moment. So I do thank you. Roman does, too. Roman's my hubby. You're welcome. I'm glad I could help. Yeah. Well, she was cremated yesterday. Now we better forget and go on. It won't be easy with only children of our own, you have any? No, we don't. Well, there you go. Oh, that's a nice. Look how you put the table on. Isn't that interesting? I saw it in a magazine. Oh, my nice painter. That's nice. Where is that? That's the TV room? Uh, well, only temporarily. It's going to be a nursery. Oh, you're pregnant? No, not yet. I hope to be as soon as we're settled. Wonderful. Well, you're young and healthy. You have lots of children. Uh, we plan to have three. I didn't see what you did to this apartment. The woman had it before was a dear friend of mine. I know. Terry told me. Oh, did she? You two had some long talks together in the laundry room. Only one. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, it looks so much brighter. Will you pick a chair like that? Uh, oh, um, I'm not sure, really. I think about $200. What does your hubby do? He's an actor. I knew it. I said it to Roman yesterday. He's so good looking. What movies was he in? No movies. He was in two plays called Luther and Nobody Loves an Albatross and a lot of television and radio. Listen, Rosemary. I got a two-inch thick sirloin steak sitting defrosting right this minute. When you and Guy come over and have supper with us tonight, what do you say? Oh, no, we couldn't. Why not? No, really, that's very kind of you. Listen, it'll be a real help to us. <laughs> First night we'll be alone since. Are you sure it wouldn't be too much trouble oh, for you? Oh, honey, there's trouble. I wouldn't ask you. All right, you go ahead and count on us. I'll have to check with Guy, though. Listen, you tell him I won't take no for an answer. Oh, here's your mail. Now, Ed. Thank you. So asking somebody how much their chair costs, isn't that kind of like asking them how much they make at their job? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's this great little guise of nosiness, right? Even when even when they're at the in this clip, um, later in the clip, because this clip kind of goes from her coming in and talking to her and then asking about, you know, what guy does for a living. And in that part of the clip, they're both sitting at the kitchen table and she's got these cans and she's picking them up and she's looking at the price tags. And so it's, it's very, very funny. And it's very, very believable that this little lady could probably be that nosy and uncouth. But when you put it in contrast with the next clip I'm going to set up, which is them at dinner with Minnie and, Rose, uh, Minnie and Roman that night, you get exactly the information that Minnie came for coming out of Roman's mouth. Religions. Oh, oh, I think we're offending Rosemary. No, no. No, you're not religious, my dear, are you? Well, I, I was brought up a Catholic. Now I don't know. Yeah, you looked uncomfortable. Well, he is the Pope. Well, now, you don't need to have respect for him because he pretends that he's holy. Now, that's a good point. When I think what they spend on robes and jewels... A good picture of the hypocrisy behind organized religion was given, I thought, in Luther. Did you ever get to play that leading part, Guy? Me? No. Well, weren't you Albert Finney's understudy? No. Well, that's strange. I remember being struck by a gesture you made and checking in the program to see who you were. Um, what gesture was that? 
Well, I know, I'm not sure now. It was a reaction. A... Oh, I, I did a thing with my arms when Luther was having a fit with a kind of involuntary reach. That's it. That's it. It had a wonderful authenticity to it. <laughs> oh, come on. No, no, I mean it. Uh, my father was a theatrical producer, and my early years were spent in the company of Mrs. Fisk, Forbes, Robertson, Modjeska. Guy? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, please. You have a most interesting inner quality, Guy. It appears in your television work, too. It should take you a long way indeed, provided, of course, that you get those initial breaks. Are you preparing for a show now? Um, well, I'm up for a couple of parts. Well, I can't believe that you won't get them. Well, I can't. So the first couple times I watched this movie, it, it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me when, when you're putting those two pieces of information together. Minnie said, oh, I said to Roman last night, I said to him, he's so handsome, he must be an actor. So it was clear from that that neither Minnie and Roman knew who Guy was. But all of a sudden, you've got Roman at dinner saying, oh, I saw you in Luther, and you made this brilliant gesture, and I remember being struck by you and looking you up in the program. So if they didn't know who he was the night before, but now they know the next, you know, the same night, it, it it's the key to that though was when he says which gesture and Roman goes, you know what? I don't remember. Right. You straight up just said you made this oh. gesture. And so her machinations are this are are different than than Romans, but they're both working together in tandem to kind of get this information. And he's he's playing to Roman's ego, Roman's guy's ego. Oh, of course. Right. That you're great. You know, you're wonderful. Provided you get those initial breaks, right? So it sets it up, and then after the scene, after this this scene, uh, you've got Minnie and and Rosemary in the kitchen doing the dishes, and after they come out, you've got Guy looking very intrigued in what it is that Roman has just said to him, and looking like he's mulling something over. So you've got this whole thing set up, um, and it's and it. You know, it took me a few viewings to really start putting those those clues together. Um, so that's what this, is, this is definitely is a fantastic movie. about this movie. It's definitely a movie that you could catch multiple things on on your on your second and third and fourth viewings. I didn't catch a lot of the sub stuff because I was worried about making sure I catch the the main stuff. And lots of times in a movie like this, you don't understand what happened until you see the entire movie. You don't realize why a scene was there, what happened, why it went down. Uh, I didn't see a lot of that stuff, but going back and watching it, looking at it, analyzing it, you're you're right that those two scenes are are a big deal. Mm -hmm. There are parts of this that will come up in our "I Have Questions" portion of the show. We'll we'll move on from there because sounds good. There's sounds there's good. something there's something that I just us talking about it has mm -hmm. now brought up a question. So, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about our our dear friend guy, John Cassavetes role I, in this film? He straight up could be the poster boy for Massengill. That's what for, it is for who the what now? Massengill. Massengill. Guy could be the poster boy for Massengill because he's a douche. Oh. This guy, <laughs> this guy, you know. Duh. Okay, got it. I, I, I come from a school that if people need to be, air quotes, corrected, you take them out back and corrected, correct them. Mm -hmm. This guy needs to be corrected hard. He needs to be corrected with a Louisville slugger. We maybe need to introduce him to Negan. 
This guy, yeah, okay. this guy is a there's a good mashup for you. Hot pile of garbage is what this guy is. Well, he's and he's you know because there's a lot of things in this movie that and he is so inept, but somehow gets the job done as far as his gaslighting of Rosemary because the whole when you look back at at, at the ways that all the people in this movie have been treating her because they treat her like a child and they talk down to her and they tell her what to do. Guy bullies her, and he bullies her, it seems like, as a matter of fact and day-to-day, because there's this one scene where he gets up, and it's he slept late, and he tells her she's tired, and, and he needs her to get up because he needs her to make him breakfast, and she's like, do it yourself, and he's, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. That's, that's you know? what he did. Yep, and he just... But he, whenever she gets close to making a connection outside of the building or she gets close to finding information and figuring stuff out, um, that he just berates her and bullies her. And it's it's not quite as elegant as what you're seeing from, from Minnie and Rosemary. And the things that he says and the way that he says them to her, um, they... Like the when she wakes up and she's got these devil claw marks all over her and he's like, oh, yeah, don't yell at me. I know I've got a scratch. And she's like, you had sex with me when I was out? And he's like, well, I didn't want to miss baby night. So his his lies to kind of cover up all these things like that are, are I don't think are any better well, than what actually happened to he's, her. He's an amateur and, at it. Oh, whereas, very whereas much. the others are, are pros. Very much. What, what, why don't we set up the clipboard? Because what happens is the special dessert, this mousse that Minnie brings over, her, her cup has been drugged. So she will get knocked out. So she won't know or remember what happened to her. Here you go. Who says it's nothing to ESP? Madame and Monsieur shall have the dessert after all. Mousse au chocolat, or as many calls it, chocolate mouse. Oh, I was afraid she'd stay all evening. Oh, she just wanted us to try it. Saying it's one of her specialities. It was sweet of her, really. We shouldn't make fun of her. Yeah, you're right. All right. It's good. Has an undertaste. A chalky undertaste. I don't get it. That's silly, honey. There is no undertaste. There is. Come on, the old bat slaved all day. Now eat it. I don't like it. It's delicious. Here, you can have mine. <laughs> I don't eat it. There's always something wrong. Oh, if it's gonna turn into a big thing. Look, if you really can't stand it, just don't eat it. Mm, it's delicious. No undertaste at all. Would you turn the record over, please? Daddy, do I get a gold star? You get two of them. I'm sorry if I was stuffy. You were. 
So that's that's him trying to bully her into eating the moose. Yeah. It's got a chalky undertaste. No, it doesn't. Y- yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Oh, just something goes. Nothing's ever right. Nothing's she, ever right for she you. Worked, yeah. She worked hard for yeah. you. <laughs> but yeah. I like the fact that there is a part of this where they show that Rosemary does have some balls. She does. She's smart. Be- she's a smart Because character. she's like, oh, fine, whatever. The little baby will get what he wants. She kind of basically says it like that, like, wah, wah, wah. Right. And, and when, you know, when he walks away, she hides it. So that does set up her being able later in the movie to say, you know what, I'm going to a different doctor. Mm-hmm. Or I'm having, I'm having a party with my friends and those old biddies aren't invited. And I, I like that they let her have some say because if she didn't... Mm-hmm. This wouldn't have been a very tense movie. She's not. A, she's not a pushover. She is definitely not a pushover. She is not dumb by any means. She's smart. She's capable. There, there's a lot of scenes in this movie where they show her being very sly about things. Um, it's just a matter of what gets her into these binds is that she feels that she has to be nice and polite all the time, and that's what basically gets her railroaded. But isn't that kind of the social commentary of mm-hmm. the day that women were supposed to be nice and polite? Right. You're supposed to do what you're told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we could use a little bit more of that today, but that's a that's a different from men? that's a different podcast. No, oh. not from. Look, Are you look, sure? Men have it right. Okay. They we, don't come we, correct, baby. We I... have we have nailed it 100 percent for like thousands and thousands of years. We have provided. <laughs> And what? if you need to write your hate what do you mail, mean, what do you mean you're not cooking? Please dinner write tonight? to PO Box. Oh, <laughs> that she's lying. We don't have a PO Box. <laughs> it, it, but it, that it, it's a part of that that mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't work right in the fifties mm-hmm. because no woman should ever question. I mean, legit, legitimately, right. it was. I mean, it's wrong, right. but it was accepted that. Men sometimes had to air quotes correct their wives. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I had to. You know, she gave me some lip last night, and that's that's garbage. Mm-hmm. That that was ever accepted, but it was. You, you can say there was a lot of people that had they didn't have issues with it, and women just did what they were told, and they they didn't do that in this. They gave her her o voice, mm-hmm. which made it the movie right. that it was. But it was it was it's t- too late by the time she gains full agency Agreed. it's it's too late but but on the other hand <laughs> it's not like there's a lot of times where you're too nice mm-hmm. you get impregnated by satan she didn't realize what she was up against she just right. thought that she was being nice to a couple of old people that lived you know right because they door. were alone right and they e- were exactly yeah. not there's not very many times when you're n- overly nice to people that you have you end up with these consequences so it's not well, like Silence we can, of the Lambs. It's not like we can fault her <laughs> for being nice. That that was a completely different era. Jeez, I mean, we are we had the Cure and Miami. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so it, but you 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 say do you blame her? We people blame her for being too nice, and and that is the 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 plot device that they're using to get her where she is. Right. But right. Also, it was an, a completely unexpected consequence. For being too nice, right? And and it and it's frustrating to what you know to watch this movie in this day and age, and and not look at Rosemary and go, oh my god, just tell him to go to freaking hell and walk out the door because she couldn't. She, you have to understand the context of the the time that this movie was made. I, I think the other thing too is is I 
have a really hard time looking at Guy and wondering what the hell she saw in him. And I was really surprised in doing the research for the show to find out that the role was initially offered to Robert Redford. Yes, it was. And there you could kind of, I, I think he could play off that a little bit more charming because John Cassavetes got the role because he was a friend of Roman Polanski's. And as a side note, uh, there was a lot of tension on the set because Cassavetes was also a director and Roman Polanski, and he clashed all the time about how these scenes needed to play out. Right. Cassavetes was more of a, let's, let's set this camera up and let it roll and we'll play how it feels and more of a, more of like you said, like an improv type right. thing. And Polanski was like, no, this is the script. This is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I, and I have to wonder if, if it really affected Cassavetti's performance because he's not an engaging character at all. He's not charming by any means. He's kind of a, just a douche in general. I mean, not just what he's done to his wife in order to get fame and fortune that he wants because that's what gets dangled in front of him. From the very beginning, I just n- didn't find him to be a, a attractive. I didn't, I didn't engaging. like their relationship. Like the the, the, yeah. the the opening scenes when they're walking through the when they're mm-hmm. walking through the the apartments, and he's like, "Oh well, yeah, sure." I mean, yeah, he was he's very sarcastic. In, you're moving into a new place with your wife. Act like you want to move into a new place with your right. wife. Interestingly enough, Robert Redford had basically decided to do the role. He did. Yes, but uh, I forget the production company. Um, the company that was released under, I apologize for not knowing that, they had served him with a subpoena for not appearing in a movie that he agreed to appear in. And when oh, that happened, no. he basically said, well, if that's the game we're playing... <laughs> that that would have been really interesting to see him in right, that because role. he's good looking. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mia Farrow is good looking. And mm-hmm. that's a guy that in the 60s, Maybe somebody could have, and I'm not saying that Casfetti's isn't good, a good, attractive, or he's ugly. Right. There's just you're right. There's not that quality of my God. I got to do whatever this guy wants because he's amazing. You know, right. kind of like what you and I have. Okay. <laughs> That's how I feel about you, honey. Aww. Oh, Aww. Yeah, okay. okay, all right, yeah, Aww. yeah. Sorry about all the mush this week, guys. I got to make up for <laughs> not knowing it was our anniversary somehow. <laughs> uh, I that would have been a great little what would have happened to Red, Redford's career because that's a diff, that, that would have been a totally different role for him. It would have. And so... But on the other hand, if you've got Redford in that role, and I know that Redford at that time was not Redford. Mm-hmm. He was an up-and-comer. He, had, he was a star. Right. You would have wanted to root for Redford mm-hmm. because you like him and he's gorgeous but and you he... want him to succeed. This guy, from the moment I saw him, I'm like... Fuck this dude. <laughs> Straight up yeah. right out of the gate. Yeah. He walked into the door and I'm like, yeah, he can go. <laughs> Another actor under consideration for the role of Guy was Jack Nicholson, which I don't know if that would have been really great casting. What I do think would have been great casting is Anthony Perkins would have been because yes. Cassavetti kind of looks. Yes. You, yeah, you're right. But that had been hard probably because of coming off a of psycho, being the, the character that he was, you already knew he was evil. You yeah. know what I mean? He kind of yeah. got typecast in a way. Uh, Polanski did not want Nicholson because he said he was he had a satanic look to him. <laughs> well, he, shining, he does. Shining, and he does. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Burt Reynolds auditioned for one of the uh, uh, tested for one of the roles in this. Which role? Uh, I can't remember. 
You can't. I'm remember. gonna have to go find out. Okay. All right. Uh, but so. I'll, I'll find out for you here by the break. But it was it was a minor role. It wasn't it wasn't for the the Cassavetti's role. But I wonder if it was the for Doctor Hill the. You know what? Give me two seconds. All right. So I found out, and Burt Reynolds tested for the role of Guy Woodhouse. I uh, know. No, no, no. That, would, it, that wouldn't have worked either. <laughs> you imagine, just imagine something just coming around the corner. Just do Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we can, we can woulda, shoulda, coulda. Of course. But when you get right down to it. Oh, he's perfectly evil in he, this role. He, yeah. yeah. Because, again, fuck that guy. So you just you yeah. did, you didn't like him from the get go. So. Yeah, and he's I mean, and so it's just so they have him on on this leash because obviously he's he's basically sold his wife, not his own soul. His he's he's sold up his wife to the devil, served up around a silver platter. It also makes to get it, this this these acting sorry. roles. It also makes it more believable that he's struggling to get lead acting roles because he's not. Robert Redford, right, or Burt Reynolds, or charming, or, or yeah, yeah, or charming, or, or good, or talented, yeah. Or, or yeah, or good, yeah, and it's or talented, yeah. <laughs> or good. <laughs> but the fact that I mean, he must be pretty decent at improv because you've got these scenes where, um, you've got the scene where Hutch is visiting Rosemary at the apartment, and suddenly Roman's at the door, and Roman gets introduced to Hutch, and. Hutch starts asking all these questions about what Tannis root is. It's the, the the smelly stuff she had in her necklace. That, that was made that up was, by the producers, by the by the writers. Yeah, there's that no such thing up, as yeah. Tannis root. Uh, so she's given this charm that she needs to wear because it's good luck and it's in her drink. And so Hutch starts asking questions. And after Roman leaves and excuses himself, you've got five minutes or however many later minutes later that. All of a sudden, guy shows up, and he's. But whenever there's a question in her mind about something, or somebody has got a question about something, he's got a story. It's not a great story, but the the explanations for why he does what he does to Rosemary are aren't any better. Just really aren't any better no, than than what the reality is. So, it's it's a it's a a lasting character. It's a good character, but it is a character you absolutely love to hate. Right from the get go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't like the storyline of Hutch showing up and instantly knowing and having all these items that dealt with witchcraft. It was convenient, but it, it, it you, was, it was, you would have to take him to be a smart guy. He's was, a writer. He knows how to ultra, do his research. It was ultra convenient. Yeah, but yeah. he did his research in one night with no internet. <laughs> right? And just happened to have the book right there. Well, he knew a little bit about the building anyway, because they they set him up in the beginning when because he's their he's their existing landlord, okay. and before they move, they have that dinner, and he starts talking about Black Bramford and all the illustrious and infamous residents of that building in years past. That was a creepy scene because yeah. you're talking about all the stuff while you're eating lamb. Yeah. Right. That was, yeah. that was that was creepy. Yeah. It, you talk about it, cannibalism it, and uneasy. all this stuff. stuff. He's like, "Hey, would you like a it's leg of lamb?" Fabulous and, and, dinner and, conversation. And it's, yeah. And it's brilliantly written because in biblical times, what did they typically sacrifice? Hey, lamb. Lamb. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of which. What a waste! God, lamb is so good. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of of things that you can kind of 
pick out that are it was probably Ira Levinson and a little bit Roman Polanski, but they have Rosemary dressed a lot in blues and whites, which are the colors of the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. big collars that make her look like a nun. Uh, her name has got the name Mary in it, and it's, you know, take out that M and it's it's rosary. And, and then you have Roman, who's one of your antagonists, and who was an antagonist to Christianity, but the Romans. So it's, yep. yeah, it's, there's a lot of little brilliant, let's call them Easter eggs in there. Right. Easter eggs before there were Easter eggs. Well, this was a very popular book. This, this, the writer was not um, well off when he wrote this. He struggled. He'd written a, a lot of different things. And he wrote this because um, his wife was pregnant at the time. And he started having these what-if thoughts. And he would not allow his wife to know anything about this book, the book that he was writing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was massive. This book was huge. I think they said it sold like 4 million copies, which in 1960, well, it had to be before 66. I don't remember what year it came out, but it was it was massive, and it got picked up very quick. And um, actually, the uh, Polanski was tricked, basically, into direct, uh, directing this, he got they they enticed him to come to direct a movie called Downhill Racer, and could, hmm. and, and and then they were like, oh, it didn't happen. But hey, we got this other role for you. And they knew right from the get go that there was going to be he wasn't going to direct Downhill Racer. They wanted him to direct this. So yeah, and his Ira uh, uh, Levinson um, also famously wrote The Stepford Wives. Yes, he did. So, again, more, a little that bit more. That was after this. That was 1972? Yeah, that was after this. Yeah. Um, and then in 1976, The Boys from Brazil. Which part of Brazil? The part where all the Nazis went to. Oh. What are Nazis? <laughs> hey, moving on. Um so yeah, that's this is there's a lot of brilliance in this film. Um, I think let's you want to talk about some of the the, the minor characters because they they really make this thing okay. come alive. I think because um, obviously you've got um, Mortimer. No, cab Mortimer. driver. The crab driver was amazing. <laughs> oh, not that minor. <laughs> <laughs> not that minor, baby. Uh, yeah, Ralph Bellamy was really good. Ralph Bellamy was good. He's and. And here's the thing. You've got a lot of, um, and we're not going to name all the actors that were in the coven. You've got a lot of these older, almost grotesque-looking people in this coven um, because Minnie and Roman are definitely very unique look to them. And I think Roman Polanski, as he was getting ready to cast this thing, he actually drew pictures of what he thought these coven members would look like, yes, and did. they cast it appropriately. Um I think Ralph Bellamy does a really good job in this. Um, I, I cannot listen to his voice, though, without thinking about trading, trading how, places. How can you? I mean, how can you? It's, it's just... <laughs> He's every year, just as a little backdrop for everybody else, every New Year's Day, Greg and I watch Trading Places, and that's our little ritual on that day. Um, we have quite a few rituals that involve movies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so it's one of them involves a lamb. That's a callback joke to the sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Moving on. Um, (laughs) so 
you've got that. You've got Charles Grodin, who's who is not part of this coven, but you still want to punch him in the face anyway because he's doing what a male doctor or any doctor probably would be doing in the '60s when a hysterical woman comes to him. Um, well, you know, we talked about that, and I'm like, why would he do that? He really only had two options. Mm-hmm. Basically, put his practice on the line. Well, he had three options. Basically, put his practice on the line and say, "Oh, wait, you know what? I got you." Mm-hmm. Or to send her to a psychiatric ward, mm-hmm. which probably would not reflect well on him if he sent her in there and the shit hit the fan. Right. Or to do what he did and say, "You know what, honey? I'm a man. It's 1966." I'm just going to tell you what you need to do and call your husband. He really, he really, his hands were kind of tied. Yeah. It's not like today where you got to, oh, goodness, we got all these things we got to discuss. And, you know, I mean, today, if that happened, he probably would have Baker acted her. He might have, he, yeah. He, he, he could have had the authority. She well, comes in and she's all crazy. This, this was long before HIPAA, right? Before the patient had to sign off and right? say, yes, you can tell my husband this and, That's correct. and, and all of that. But, and just to kind of set this up, is Rosemary tries to starts to suspect that that the the people in her building are part of this coven of witches, and Guy has something to do with it as well. And so she packs her bags and and tries to to leave. So she goes to her original ops, um, OBGYN and says, "This is what's going on." And she's presenting him with the evidence because she's got no one else to turn to. Hutch is already dead. Um, and basically says, I, I need to get away from them. I need to have my baby without them being able to get their hands on it. Cause she's convinced that they want to use the baby as a sacrifice or in their rituals. Um, she has no clue what's growing inside her. And so Charles Grodin kind of calms her down and it's, a, it's a trope. It's the trope in horror where you have the hysterical woman. It's, it's a, something's going on. The woman sees what's going on. She's trying to convince the people around her that something is going, is, is amiss. And she gets dismissed because it, it's not, doesn't sound plausible. And she even says it when she's talking to him, I'm, I'm sure I sound crazy, but I swear to you, this is what's going on. Well, I think that even today, if a woman ran into a doctor's office screaming about witches and devil's babies. Well, she wasn't screaming. <laughs> Talking super loudly. <laughs> it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for anybody, especially, especially a doctor that's rooted in science. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's not, right. a, there's not a lot of supposition to being a doctor. Mm-hmm. That he's going to look at you and go, eh, eh. So I can kind of see why they went that route. And it was also a nice little swerve for him to go, oh, you know what? Jason really is dead. Oh, wait, no, Jason's not dead. It was, you know, right. that, you're right. like, when they come walking in. But you kind of suspe- suspected it. You You didn't, but you did. You're like, where is this going to go? Right. Cause well, there's, there's such a... They they build they do such a good job of of building this paranoia in this movie. They do, and so when you finally get to Doctor Hills, you're you're starting to feel some relief, but in the back of your mind, it's still nagging. She's still got the devil spawn inside of her. So even if she got to a hospital and had that baby, it still wouldn't be, you know, uh, any kind of salvation for her in any means. Right. But I I want to kind of contrast it to. Um, early in the seasons of, of Mad Men, 
which is also set in the 1960s. Uh, you've got the main character, Don Draper. He has his wife, Betty. And Betty is having issues where she's, she's kind of having these little breakdowns. As she, she'll, she'll freeze. She can't, she can't move her hands. She's just having these panic attacks. So he says, no, no worries, honey, and sends her off to a psychiatrist. And so you get a few episodes or little scenes within an episode where she's talking to the psychiatrist. And as the episode ends, he's at home and he gets a phone call and it's the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is telling him everything his wife has said. So, you know, women didn't have that sense of privacy. Again, long before the days of HIPAA, where you couldn't share any information about any of your patients without their permission, files don't get shared, things like that. So it's, it is frustrating. You know, you, again, you look about the time, but you really were looking as to Dr. Hill as an ally. And even the look on his face when um, Dr. Saperstein and Guy come to pick Rosemary up and take her back home, um, it's this look of almost... Not pity, but I, I kind of get this like oh, hysterical woman look on her face, like this almost disdain. And that's when I want to smack him. <laughs> that's when I want to smack Charles Grodin. Um, what what did you think about Miss Patsy Kelly? I learned a lot about Miss Patsy Kelly after after this watch. I thought I thought watching it that she was an overactor in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were going for that or if if that was what they were going on, but she did the scene where, (coughs) excuse me, where she's watching her after the baby's been delivered and she rolls over and goes, how's the baby? Ah! I'm like, what? Seriously? Uh, Hello? Uh, That, um, she was funny with the tongue, the the sticking her tongue out. Yeah. She overacted when she was describing the baby. Oh, Look at his hands and feet. You know, but then when you find out what her background was, yeah, it's you get why she was there. Yeah, I I don't know to be honest with you at that point of the movie that they needed a tension breaker. I, I didn't. I didn't. I I thought that it, you you're. I mean, you're at literally you're within the last ten minutes of the movie, and you still really don't know what's gone down. You've mm-hmm. got an idea. You know, they tell her, oh, the baby's dead. You right. know, and she's like, no, bullshit. And, oh, yeah, he's dead. But yet you still got this person here. She knows she's being given drugs. Uh, all this stuff is going on. That I don't know that you should have had that type of character being prominent. She should have been prominent to me in the earlier part of the movie. But I'm not a director. Yeah, she's um, Patsy Kelly was uh, a 1930s film star. She did a lot of little shorts with a partner. Um, she was, uh, let me just grab the information. Uh, and, and to, as I'm looking this up, uh, I'm going to say that, um, uh, basically the way Polanski felt is when you got to this, you know, Roman preaching that this is the, the son of Satan and Adrian will rise and, and crush the church and God and, and all that. It, it's very over the top. It, it's extremely over the top. The Hail Satans are completely oh. over the top. All I could think of when they were saying Hail Satan was Hail Hydra. 
<laughs> well, I did think to myself, like, because that's, to me, that's, that's, it is a disturbing scene where you got all these people going, hell, Satan, hell, Satan, because you, you don't want to hear it. Um, and I'm like, what could you do, like, to recut that scene and, and replace, you know, like, they used to take the madman, there, there was a, a, a group of people who wanted to show how prominent smoking was, um, and they took all these clips of Mad Men and they replaced the cigarettes with kazoos. So what could you replace all those Hail Satan with? And all I could think of is, what's up? All right, but, what, that would work. Yeah, but I think I, what there's there's definite elements of comedy in that last scene. Uh, last scene when Rosemary, you know, finds her way through the the hidden door in the closet to get into the Cassavette's apartment, and finds the baby, um, realizes the baby is not quite human, and she just you know has is in shock and she drops the knife and the knife goes stick straight into the floor and not a second later you got Minnie pulling the knife out of the floor and then you know rubbing the spot where the knife felt so she could you know kind of fix what was going on the floor and I'm thinking god if that was the situation that would be me like a rosemary oh rosemary he chose you he chose you among all the people but god damn it use a coaster you know yes. <laughs> and so it's it's definitely i think he wanted to have those those elements of comedy in there to to not make it so over the top so it didn't end in such a cheesy fa fashion right that it, it it's it's beyond it's absurd it's ridiculous but it's also unsettling at the end when she just finally kind of accepts her fate i would like to um pay homage to one of the uh i'm not going to call it an actor mm -hmm. or actress but i'm going to call it a, one of the small parts of the movie that gives this movie the feel that mm -hmm. it has is creepy because of the chords but just la, 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 la. well it's very innocent and even like you know that's why children in horror movies especially children singing in horror movies is creepy as hell yes. you've got them and with this you have you're it's it's in a minor key so that immediately puts people on edge and you've got this sweet little innocence and oh, this is actually and this is actually mia farrow singing this they had her sing this You, uh, you told me that you had a way that you might have been able to break the tension. Uh, yeah, this. well, this I know about you, but after watching this, this song has stuck in my head all week. I, I woke up this morning with, with this it, in my yeah. head. So I, I have been thinking about it, and, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a very Seinfelding twist to it if I can continue if the song doesn't turn out. Ready? La, la, la. La 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 la. Hello. La la la. I hadn't practiced that part of the song before. I practiced the beginning, so. That was a part of the movie that gave it the creepiest feel of everything to me. 
Right. Even even uh, there were some uncomfortable scenes, but that was the creep. And the music was mm-hmm. extremely well done in this movie. Yeah, I, but I think the the when you look at the the coven and the grotesque, I mean, because Patsy Kelly, you know, as she got older, was uh, you know had definitely gained weight and stuff like that. But she was she was a pretty attractive actress in the '30s, um, and she was kind of set up uh, to be like the queen of wisecracks in these shorts that she was in, and she was paired with a um, another actor actress that was kind of beauty contestant pretty um so it was Thelma Todd and Patsy Kelly as as a comedy duel and, and how Hal Roach um famously put them together um and he was looking to really create this series of female buddy comedies so he wanted kind of a female uh, Abbott and Costello uh, so they did about 21 films together, short films, and uh, they, uh, unfortunately, Thelma Todd died at the age of 29, and so they, they tried to find other places for, for Patsy Kelly to really do more films. So as she got older, um, she started to get a little bit more of a resurgence. She was in things like camp, doing like character roles in The Love Boat and Love American Style and, and things like that, but... I think we have a clip. Do we have a clip of yes. us? Miss yes, we do. Some of her earlier stuff. Yeah. Are you grouchy? Are you tired? Well, let Vibrato fix you up. Vibrato. D-I-B-R-A-T-O. That's it. Vibrato. Keep right on using Vibrato. Here. When you get up in the morning, face your household duties with a smile. <laughs> and keep right on using Vibrato. Good old Vibrato. For that morning after feeling vibrato. V-I-B. Oh, well, you all know how to spell it. Um, so th- that clip was the only clip I, I could really find where she's just talking. Uh, most of the clips you see online are, are very slapstick. Um, and, and what was interesting about both Thelma Todd and, and, and Kelly together is it wasn't that one was playing the straight man and the other one was being the one that was prone to the slapstick comedy, the falling down, the, the, the breaking things. They were both in it together, and they both were kind of these two working girls trying to get along and, and get ahead, and they were just always getting into trouble. And so she... Three Stooges style. Yeah, very much Three Stooges style. So, you know, what she brings to Rosemary's Baby, even though it's it's an annoying character, but she's supposed to be annoying, and she's supposed to be unsettling and grotesque and and... and doesn't quite make you feel, you know, the warm fuzzies. But, yeah, she's over the top. She had some lunacy to the thing. Well, that that whole era was over the top. That's what you had to do. Mm-hmm. That's how you got your your laughs. I mean, you watch, you can watch movies from the 40s and the 50s, and even if it's a good movie, you're like, Jesus, can you overact a little bit more? Mm-hmm. There's just some scenery over there you miss chewing on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's understandable. Plus. You know that's that's what they that's how they did comedy back then too. You, yeah. you were you were over the top. Oh, it was it was definitely over the top. Uh, now now that we're talking about that ending scene though, where Rosemary does see the the baby for the first time, um, one of the things and again this goes back to Polanski not wanting to show the supernatural. Very smart choice, just to have that black crib with the upside down crucifix hanging over and and not showing the baby. I think it just makes it ultimately more creepy. Now they remade this into a miniseries back in 2014, and it starred Zoe Saldana in it. Um, Gamora. 
Gamora. Yeah. And uh, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I have seen the end scene. And, and the end scene is much, much different. You actually see the baby. And the baby looks quite normal, only the fact that it's a dark-skinned baby with very, very bright blue eyes. And it isn't as creepy. Um, you can see that it would be a little bit easier for her to love that baby because that baby doesn't, you know, other than knowing what that baby was, she just becomes enamored with it. And it's a very handsome child. And you see her pushing because they, they set it in London and not New York. So she's pushing this pram along the Thames in the last scene. And this couple stops and goes, oh, look, your baby, your baby is beautiful. And she's like, I know. So it, it's not as effective to not see that. And there's a question, too, as to whether or not she's, because she smiles and seems, she seems to kind of accept that she's going to be the mother of this baby. But I've heard a lot of other people review and analyze this movie and say, I like that they kind of leave it open-ended because I like to think she grabs them both and just jumps out the window. <laughs> See, that's where I thought it was going. Yeah. That's where I thought the ending was going to go. And when she just, when she's standing there and they start playing that creepy-ass music again, mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck this movie. <laughs> that was my original thought. I'm like, come on. We, we know he doesn't live. We know he, I mean, it's 2019. Mm-hmm. Where is he? Right. Oh, wait, everywhere. That's right, I forgot. Okay, so the one scene that we haven't talked about yet that I wanted to address was the actual, air quotes, rape scene. The dream the, sequence. The dream sequence. I don't like... That's one thing about that, this film that I don't like. And, and it's not just a, about the fact that it's about this woman being raped by mm-hmm. the devil. The dream sequence portion of it, it it's just so... The dreams, the dreams. I can't that, even put a word to it. The way it's almost like they're trying to give you like an LSD trippy feel. Yeah, right. Right. And it's it's not effective today because of the effects that we know that they have today. They it they feels use, cheesy. It, it, it does, but but I I think a large part of that is because of the era uh, mm-hmm. that the filmmaking was done. Mm-hmm. Right. I watched that, and it's a very creepy scene, uh, and it's and it's. I can't imagine what that was like to watch in 1966 or 68. I'm sorry. The movie takes place in 1966. It was released in 1968. Mm-hmm. And it takes place in 1966 because well, it takes the ba- or it takes 65 and 66. 65 into 66. The baby is going to be born in 1966. Uh, the Church of Satan was established in 1966. So it, it's kind of a nod to... This baby is the Antichrist, so it is year one. Also, what, what month was the baby born? Was it June? June. And which month is that? Um, sixth. Six. Six sixty-six. So there you go. There's your there's your satanic reference there. Six 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 six, 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 six seven. The neighbor of the beast. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that scene, I can't imagine what it was like to watch in 1968 because mm-hmm. that was just first of all. There's not a lot of nudity in movies at that time. Mm-hmm. There definitely wasn't a lot of sex in movies at mm-hmm. that time. Well, this was the year that Barbarella came out, too. So you I, got a, I, I, a naked Jane Fonda floating she in She was actually floated the role. She was offered the role, and she chose Barbarella over this. Jane Fonda was yes, chose the role. She was, she was offered the role for... Uh, for uh, Rosemary. For Rosemary first. I, I heard that uh, they were also auditioning Patty Duke. I, I did hear that as well. And uh, of back course, back in 1966, I heard it through Reuters. 
<laughs> no. I, I, and of course, Roman Polanski was, was trying to get Sharon Tate in well, that role. Well, he decided, from what I read, not to cast Sharon Tate because he did not feel that would be ethical. Mm-hmm. And uh, kudos to him. For, I, I don't even know if that's a real word, but... But back to the scene. It's a super uncomfortable scene for all the reasons that it was super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I looked at you and I said, man, that was super racy for a movie from 1968. Mm-hmm. And it was. And, but but it, was, I, I, was, it was needed. And I put a question mark after that. You, did, did you need to see that in the movie? Or does that make it like... Because... We talked about this on the Top 5 for Fighting episode about horror movies. What you don't see is what scares you. Right. What if she'd have just woke up and had the marks, the, the claws on her? Yeah, that would have, that would have left a huge question mark. I right? Don't, but I don't think Polanski wanted that. He, I, and I understand that. He went counter to the book. The book, right. the book basically is you don't know what's going on until the all the you know everything comes tumbling down at the end and then you realize with rosemary what the hell is going on right this particular rendition of it in the movie is he he wanted it to be he didn't want to show you the supernatural elements like in your face he wanted them to kind of be a, a huge question mark and so doing this as a dream sequence and i think it's it's Really smart of Polanski because the night that Terry jumps out the window, you they set it up that these apartments used to be much larger apartments and they have these new walls built in between them and they're very, you can hear them. They're almost paper thin. You can hear what's going on in the next, uh, the next room over in another apartment. So that night, the night that Terry jumps out the window, you have Guy and Rosemary in bed and Rosemary's trying to fall asleep and you hear Roman and Minnie fighting mm-hmm. and Minnie is yelling I told you not to tell her I told you not to tell her meaning Terry that this whole thing was going on and they were going to use her to have the devil's baby that turns into some of Rosemary's first dream that you see having there where she's seeing nuns and 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 all these things so I think it was smart for him to kind of put that in there first before you get to the scene where she's drugged. And she's not fully drugged like they want her to be because she hides the moose from, from Guy. Well, it had a chalky undertaste. It did have a chalky undertaste. And no, it didn't. No one... <laughs> <laughs> Fine, Daddy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she, she, you know, diverts Guy and hides the moose in her napkin and so she's not completely drugged so you're getting this perspective that's very dreamlike um you're getting the flashes of what is really happening with all the coven members and guy naked or in a circle around her and all these being strapped and tied to this bed and so it's he wants to leave it as a question mark did this really happen to her was this just a dream I just think that the way in with which it was done, and you're right, it's it's an older style of filmmaking. Um, it just, I don't know, it's never sat well with me because I, I always feel like oh, I always I hate this part of the movie. It's necessary, but I hate it. Well, I I, I was saying that it was extremely racy mm-hmm. for for that era, and I what I was getting at was it's was it needed. 
and it probably set a lot of people on edge because people don't want to see that. No. And it was a director's choice mm-hmm. that made it uh, creepier, and you could have gone either way with it. Uh, I was intrigued by that scene because of the era that it was done, and I did a little bit of backgrounding on it. It was passed by the censors here, but in Europe they had to edit it. And they what edited, did they change? They, they did not allow them to show them binding her feet. That's what you... That's was there what, an explanation as to why that was considered... I, I No, there was no explanation. Huh. Uh, they also edited down a, a little bit of, for lack of a better word, the grinding scenes. Okay. Right, yeah. when, you know, stuff like that. Which <clears throat> Mia Farrow said, <laughs> the actor that played... The devil? The devil was completely naked in the scenes. Really? Yes. Hmm. Um... And he basically grinded on her for hours. And she said it was super uncomfortable. But when it was all over, she said the actor was super, (laughs) super professional. And he's like, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to work with you. Shook her hand and left. (laughs) Well, she was not 100% doing all the nude scenes. There were some scenes where she was, it was her. Right. But... For the most part, the her walking away and going underneath when when you see this naked body walking away and going down below when it when in her dream it's it's on a ship, that's not her. Right. Um, I the, can tell. I can tell by the butt. The <laughs> quite a talent you have there. Um, they also You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you were a boob man, baby. Um, well, those two, those are nice. So the the scene where the body is getting painted with the the ritualistic symbols that is not her, right? Um, this scene is probably what broke up p- part of what put started putting the nail in the coffin for Frank Sinatra and and, and Mia Fer- Ferris. Yeah, mar- which marriage. I did not know they were married until they were I married. started watching this movie. Yeah. I thought that she was always lucky enough to be with Woody Allen. So, oh God, talk about talk about taste in men. Who? Yeah, um, she was married to Frank Sinatra, and she got the script, and she was very interested in it, and she showed it to Frank and had him read it, and he was like, I don't see you in this film. Right. And you have to wonder if a lot of it is he didn't want you know the world seeing his wife naked, but he also wanted to her to be in his movie The Detective, which also released that year. And she was she, um, she flew between the two coasts because there was there were overruns on Rosemary's, and he was getting frustrated with her and basically told her you it's this movie or it's me. And she continued with the film, and he had his lawyer serve her divorce papers on set. Well, probably the best thing that ever happened to her. <laughs> Sorry. Then there was Woody Allen, so maybe yeah, good. not. Poor, poor woman has not made good choices. Yeah, she's probably better off by herself yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: Abe Saperstein. Yes. That's the name of the man who founded the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting little. You, you never would have thought that Saperstein would have founded the Globetrotters, <laughs> but hey, yeah, he's got to have interest on the side, other than just plain and straight up Satanism. So yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Cool, cool. 
uh, what was my, I had a couple, I had a couple uh, here, but uh, one of the things that I did notice is, because um, that's the, the beauty of, of having a film that you can watch over and over again, you notice other things. And there were, there were two things that I noticed. One of them was um, when she sits down, because um, the night that they have dinner with uh, Minnie and Roman for the first time, and you see that Guy is intrigued by something Roman has to say. They come home that night, and Guy's like, I'm going to go over there again tomorrow night. He has some really interesting stories, and I want to talk to him. So they they cut to that night, and she said, wants to be in the apartment alone. She doesn't want to go back over there. So she settles in, and she gets a book, and she gets on the couch. And not a few seconds later, Minnie and, and Laura Louise, who's the Patsy Kelly, Kelly character, are knocking on her door and kind of invading her home. What book was she reading? She was reading Yes, I Can by Sammy Davis Jr. And you know what's funny about that? The Rat Pack? No. Do you know who was a member of the Church of Satan? Sammy Davis Jr.? Correct. I thought he was Jewish. He was born Jewish, but he was he was he was really big into the Church of Satan. And what's funny is, you know, the rabbit holes you go down when you do the research for these things, because okay. I'm sure you've fallen down this hole. I did. I, I fell down the hole on, uh, and I ended up watching uh, you watch it, Tim Conway Tim and Harvey Corman. Conway and Harvey Corman all morning. <laughs> well, this morning I was looking up, you know, when he uh, finally came out um, as as a member of the Church of Satan, and it was about 72. And I found this really odd TV film that he did. And oh, I can't remember. The, I, it's, it's on here somewhere. It was something like he's playing a demon that works for Satan. And Satan is played by Christopher Lee. Um, and he has kind of screwed up again and again and again. And he needs to find, he needs to redeem himself in Satan's eyes. So he tries to find someone who is, um, it's called Poor Devil. That's what it's called. Um, and so he's trying to recruit Jack Klugman and get him to sell his soul. It has got Adam West in it. It is. I I started watching like the first twenty minutes of this movie. It is cheesy as hell. Well, of course it but is. But it has got Church of Satan symbols all over it, and it's it's yeah. He was out there, man. Well, Mia Farrow sold out for this. Uh, she is a she's a vegetarian and she actually ate the raw liver in that scene. That is a creepy ass scene. That's a really very creepy scene. Uh, really really rough. Uh, here's a little bit of uh, trivia for you before we get to the the mm-hmm. next section of the thing. Right on the phone call where she calls the gentleman who actually was struck blind mm-hmm. so that guy could get the role. Okay. Do you know who the voice is on the other end of the line? Roman Polanski. Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis. Yes. How did I not recognize that voice? And well, that's the Polanski did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. He did not tell her that it was going to be Tony Curtis. She was on the phone, and the look on her face is genuine because she said, "I know I should know who that voice is, but mm-hmm. I couldn't place it." So while she's talking to him, if you rewatch it, which we're going to have to because I just found this out this morning. Okay. She's got this look on her face, like who who am I talking to while she's doing her lines? And yeah. it was and it was Tony Oh, that Curtis. is awesome. Right? That is awesome. Okay, so you know the scene. There's a scene where um she's trying to run away and 
she's in Saperstein's office and starts putting, she's, she's trying to run away and she's going to go to Saperstein first because she, she's thinking that Saperstein's her ally. Right, because she could, because at that point, if he's her ally, mm-hmm. she could just travel with the team, the Globetrotters, as they go around the, the playing the Washington Generals. There's a plan. I think it would work. Pretty solid. Uh, so she's in his, his waiting room and his... Receptionist says something about you, you smell better than you normally do because that's what Saperstein wears too, and it's awful. And, and so she starts putting it together crap, he's one of them too. So she starts to run away and she goes into this phone booth and she's trying to get a hold of Dr. Hill, which was her original doctor, um, to try to see if she can, and we've talked about this, but try to see if she can get away and, and, and trying to get someone to help her. So she's standing in the phone booth and you see the back of a man and you said when we were watching that oh god that's dr saperstein and he walks away and then he comes back and you realize it's not him do you know who that man was no it was william castle it was producer of rosemary's baby cool yeah he originally wanted to direct it but they decided it would be better to use polanski right the scene in uh, the scene you just referred to in the doctor's office when she says, "I thought it was his aftershave from a man who has a beard." Right. <laughs> good, good for you. So tell me, I mean, this this movie's I think more creepy and unsettling than it is to say it's scary. Would you agree? Yeah, this isn't this. I wouldn't call this a horror film. Mm-hmm. In in 1968, mm-hmm. this was a horror film because slashers and people get mutilated didn't exist yet well right? i i don't think i think horror horror is very there's a wide range there's horror and horror adjacent within the well and there's a wide range within the genre too and I, and to me a horror movie is something that sticks with you and becomes part of your psyche a lot of people would say okay well psycho is more of a thriller and it's not a horror movie but how how often are you in the shower and you think you hear something and you jump I would define or, a horror movie as something that that it's unsettling when you're mm-hmm. watching it. It's unsettling, not not like it's unsettling because oh my god, this movie is so awful. Mm-hmm. It's unsettling, like Jesus, this woman's getting raped by the devil. That's un, that's unsettling. It is, yes. it, yeah, definitely. But I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. So there's a lot of different subgenres within within the field of horror, and I think true horror fans are, are more willing to kind of be open to what's horror and, yeah. and what's not. I think um, that it's just it. This movie was one of those movies that kind of sat with me afterwards because it, it, like even even you said that even the music just sticks with you and makes you kind of feel a little creepy. Yeah. Unless you do it my way, the Seinfeld way. Right. So. La 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 la. Hello. Which, if you had to pick three scenes from this movie that you found particularly creepy, what would they be? Well, the the rape scene has to be the one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of tough because they're, they're, it's, it's... The scene in the phone booth was pretty creepy. It, just because of the way the guy walks up and puts his back to it, that was... I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something. I guess I was expecting something different. Mm-hmm. And let's go with 
See, I'm, run, I'm running it in my mind right now. You guys have to be, just have to be patient. My brain doesn't work the way other people's does. In fact, it doesn't work at all. We got... Man, that technique was part of the... To, you know, it was it, really uncomfortable. A really uncomfortable scene to me was when she was on the floor with the Scrabble tiles putting the anagram together. Just because you, I kept, I, I kept feeling like the way that they had inserted themselves into her life mm-hmm. and she never had a free moment, I'm like, they're going to catch her. They're going to catch her doing this. They're going to walk in, oh, dearie, why you got this stuff all over the floor? Yeah. You know? How much did you pay for that? And she's going to be like, you know what? Fuck you, lady. Get out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was... And because you knew it was building to something, Mm -hmm. and you knew what it was building to, and you were like, hurry up. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like Guy was going to be coming home in any minute, or she was... They, I think the old people, they had sent the old people away at that point, a quote unquote. Yeah. I, I think, no, she was still finding that out. I think she went to Saperstein first and Saperstein. That's right. He's, he's like, you know, a we'll get sly one. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get rid of know, him. Or a he, mean one. He comes, he comes up with his lies because he's been doing it longer, you know, in a much more elegant way than Guy. And Well, it's because he mm, shaved in the morning and afternoon he looked like this. He's a cheap pet. That those probably those were probably the three. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of things that were creepy. A lot of the, you know, especially you know the, the gaslighting scenes. Even though you know he's doing it, you're like, oh my, I, oh this guy. Urgh. But those, I mean, you got to put the devil, the, the rape mm-hmm. scene in there because it was definitely the most unsettling part. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let me. I got to add a fourth one. <laughs> okay. At the end, when she's like, I'm down with this. Yeah. That was pretty unsettling. You're unsettling. like, lady, what is wrong with you? It's her baby. The window is right there. Just it's pick him up and toss him out. The, the power of motherhood, right? I I mean, I guess. Horror is a mother. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mine are... There's this montage um, where she's kind of going through her daily life when she's pregnant and they kind of set up the fact that she's craving raw meat. So you kind of see her lightly braise of steak one side or the other and eating it bloody. But there's another one where she's preparing this food and she pulls out, is it was it chicken liver kidneys? I can't remember. It was probably chicken liver, but yeah. and they said she actually ate raw liver. Yeah, and she then she's a vegetarian. So yeah. again, um, we're, we're, we're having kind of this thread going through because we talked about this in, in network two where we had the vegetarian shoving fried chicken in his mouth but she the way they make her look truly sick during her pregnancy with the dark circles and she's very pale and she's very gaunt and then they give her the very severe Vidal Sassoon haircut and she picks up these raw chicken livers and you don't see her kind of ingest it front on you get this warped reflection of her in the toaster and that for some reason just always gives me the creeps she did a great job of that scene too because it wasn't a human eating them it was almost something it was feral. animalistic it was, yeah. it was very there was well, a very was, feral feeling yeah it was it was being driven from inside her and it you just pick that up and it's so creepy right so creepy uh, the thing the one that i find extremely unsettling too is you know she gets retrieved from dr hill's office and in guy and and saperstein and another one of the the coven 
are trying to bring her back to the apartment and she breaks away and she runs away from them and she locks the door and they give up going to the door and you see them coming in from that closet that connects the two apartments, um, which they set up brilliantly at the beginning of, of this movie. And it, they're, we all come in so silently and they just all come up upon her. It just, that creeped me out. It's just that silence. Somebody could sneak into your home and you just would not know that they were there. That that's that's creepy as hell. Agreed. I agree. I have questions. You have questions? I have questions. I might have answers. I, I can't promise anything, but I'm I'm willing to listen. Let's talk about the young lady that ended up jumping out. Terry. Terry. They told you said the scene where mm-hmm. they're in bed and they're I told you not to tell her. I told you not to tell her. Mm-hmm. And then the next day she's dead. But they, the plan wasn't in place yet. They didn't know anything about them. They only met when she comforted them. Mm-hmm. And so how did they know that they were going to use her for this plan when they didn't even know what was going on yet? Mm-hmm. And then they... Killed the girl. Mm-hmm. I, I also did the girl kill herself, or did 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 they kill her? That's a good question, and I, and I've heard several different arguments about this. I think it could have gone either way. Um, they were definitely they had picked her up, and it wasn't because of, out of the goodness of her heart they were they were grooming her for the devil, and you hear the argument twice about whether or not to tell her. You hear it the night before that establishes that the walls between the two apartments are very, very thin. And, and, this, is before, and this is the other creepy scene, too. So this, this kills two birds with one stone. Great. Um, so you hear them arguing, and it's a little bit clearer, so they must be in a room that's closer to, the, to, to Guy and Rosemary's bedroom. But you hear Minnie saying to Roman, don't tell her, don't tell her, don't tell her. And then about five seconds later, you hear very faint chanting of the Satanist. Right, and the recorder. And, and the recorder. And then, Because as proven by Stairway to Heaven, the recorder is a very satanic, very satanic uh, instrument. Yeah. Some people would say that the devil likes guitars, but... Can get down with a recorder. Oh, devil's cool. Um, so that's when you get the next scene from the next night, where where Terry has. I'm. That's why I said she felt. You know, she she took a drop from the window. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say she jumped, but the story is that she did jump. So there's two possibilities there. One, they obviously told her because you've got the next night that that same night, Minnie yelling, "I told you not to tell her." So they either told her that she was, A, either already pregnant with the devil's baby or that they were planning on using her and she got freaked out and killed herself. Or she freaked out and she refused and now Minnie and Roman have to kill her. And I, I feel like... Go ahead. You weren't done. Um, I think the way that they react to the fact that she is dead when you first meet them in this film is a little too polished. You have two different reactions. You have Roman going, 
I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. And you have Minnie going, but she was so happy. Oh, no, it can't be. It can't be. Neither one of them are too shook. But they're both telling two different stories. So it calls to question, are they just really doing a good job of covering up? Or did they really kind of go, oh, well, well, you got to break a few eggs. There was a suicide note left. Mm Mm-hmm. And the cop asked Minnie, mm-hmm. is that her writing? Oh, yeah, that's definitely her writing. Yeah. Okay. I feel like after thinking about it, she killed herself mm-hmm. because she found out that she was pregnant with the devil's baby. Mm-hmm. I think she was a part of the Satanist cult. Mm-hmm. That's why she was totally fine living there with them. Because you don't live with people that are Satanists and not realize they're Satanists. Not, That's not, a good point. Not not for that long. Yeah, uh, right? especially because the night that they have dinner with them, Rosemary's like, there's a lot of pictures that are missing from their wall. Do you notice that everything seemed kind of out of place? Yes. And she had on the charm mm-hmm. with the tannis in it. So you, you so assume like maybe, she was pregnant. Maybe she was pregnant. Yeah. And then she realized, she thought she was just pregnant. Maybe, I don't know. They, they, there's yeah. a lot of supposition there. But <clears throat> I just don't think that whole timeline meshes. With the conversation with her and the dying, it, but that's my that's my only yeah. question. That's yeah. that's really the only one I have. Yeah, that's everything and, else I. And I think it's 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 purposely put it, put there as a mystery, right? Because did did Minnie and Roman have a hand in this? You know, somebody I heard, and I don't remember which podcast this was, where they were talking about it, and I was listening to it after we had watched um, ourselves this week. That. They felt that because Terry was this, used to be on drugs, was on the street, you know, that was the backstory for her. And then you've got Rosemary. And if you look at Rosemary, she's more of an idyllic kind of sacrifice for this, right? She's a good Midwestern girl. She's clean. She's polite. She's Catholic. Um, That... Maybe that the devil thought, nope, want that one instead. And then they that's possible, right? So that that's that was another explanation, potential explanation for this. I think that they zero in on Guy and Rosemary because Guy and Rosemary approach them, and Rosemary says that she had met Terry, she had heard that Terry had a brother because they were looking for a next of kin, and I think that got. Minnie a little shook because she didn't know what Terry had been saying. Right. And so that's when she kind of zeroes in on, on Rosemary the next day, but she also needs a replacement. Right. Soon. Soon. Um, So I think that that's probably why they, they also pick Rosemary. She's, she's definitely more suitable for their needs. The scene in the laundry when they first meet. Mm Mm-hmm. She says, you remind me of that actress, uh, Victoria Vitri. And it's Victoria Vitri. That's actually her name. Yeah. Oh, I get that a lot. Yeah, no, you don't. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So uh, one thing that we didn't do last week that I want to do on a regular basis is talk about the box office. Okay. Because obviously we're, we're watching these movies. There's movies that we, the movies we, that we, we like. We, we talked a little about the box office last week, we, but we talked about opening weekends. So. What we didn't talk about was how Suicide Squad was ninth in 2016. It's not a bad place to be. No, ninth. Uh, in a year that had, um, the movies were, uh, you know, what was there? There was uh, Winter Soldier. Uh, 
Civil it was Civil War. Anyway, anyway, I, I, I looked it up this morning. Ninth was was pretty doggone good. Rosemary's Baby. We talked about that this morning. Nineteen sixty eight. It was sixth overall, and it was technically fifth because it tied with Planet of the Apes. How odd is it that you have a movie in a year, in two two movies in a year that make the exact same dollar amount? Number one was The Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. It made forty four point five million. Planet of the Apes and Rosemary's Baby made thirty three point three million. Those don't sound like a lot, but it was nineteen sixty eight. Ticket a ticket was probably thirty cents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am surprised that that movie did that well. I didn't feel like it would insert itself into American culture in nineteen sixty eight quite that way. Uh, but well, it, it well, does I think make with the sense other with, factors, with big names and and. Yeah. The, the era that we were in and stuff like that. It, well, it, we had we did recent we recently had the assassination of Martin Luther King. This that had year, nothing to do with Martin Luther King. But he wasn't even in the movie. I'm getting to my point, so oh, okay. If you would not be so rude, but I guess it's being polite that gets you, yeah, whammed. But anyway, uh, there's when stuff like that happens there. There sometimes is an appetite for that darker, more unsettling things because it was it was a confusing time. You'd lost Kennedy. When did when did the other Kennedy die? But when did Bobby die? I don't know. Bobby Kennedy, was assassinated was that year, wasn't he? I don't know. Um, it happened. Him and Martin Luther King happened very close to each other. So, you know, you you've got a little bit of of people feeling confused and jaded. So I can I can see that. But I can also see The Odd Couple being number one because that's a damn funny movie. Yeah, it is. Number two was Bullet. Three was Romeo and Juliet. I think that was in the, that was the 47th retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Oliver! With an exclamation point. Oliver! Oliver was number four. Planet of the Apes, Rosemary's Baby, uh, tied at five. Um, if you know the names, if you know these other movies here, I would, I would be surprised anybody who listens... Um, the Lion in Winter. I mean, the Green Berets. Oh, the Lion in Winter is um, Catherine Hepburn. See, nobody and Richard, knows. No, see, nobody R- knows Richard that movie. Burton. Nobody, nobody knows that movie. The Green Berets. I mean, men, real men, real men know the Green Berets. <laughs> Kenny. <laughs> uh, a lot of movies I've never heard of. Blackbeard's Ghost, The Fox, Boston Strangler. I've heard of Candy. I, I guess I'm, I can only assume that's a movie about a hooker. The original, The Thomas Crown Affair. I know that one. That was fourteen. Number five was or fifteen was Bandolero. They liked exclamation points in 1968. Bandolero, exclamation point. You needed to know how to feel. Well, I needed them to tell me how to feel, apparently. <laughs> um, so there's only one question that you have left for me. I, yeah, I have questions for you. What? One of them is, would you watch this movie again? Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I would probably wouldn't sit down to watch this movie again. I wouldn't say, let's watch Rosemary's Baby again. Mm-hmm. If it was going to be, if we were going to watch something at Halloween, you know, in the scary movie era, or you were going to watch it, I'd, I'd watch it with you again. I, It's a really good movie. I might not mind watching it again just to catch stuff I missed mm-hmm. or see if I see it differently. Right. So I guess, te- I guess technically my answer would be yes. Yeah. I'll be nice. I won't crap all over the movie you made me watch. I didn't crap all over the movie. I was, and that's okay. Here's my corrections department piece because I want to make it absolutely clear. <laughs> I wasn't trying to crap all over the movie. I was extremely frustrated 
I wanted that movie to be something better, and unfortunately, it wasn't. Well, that puts you, that doesn't put make you any different than anybody else. There's a lot of people that mm-hmm. wanted that movie to be better. Yeah, I I do watch this movie every year. I it's not something that you can watch again and again throughout the year, but at certain times of year, especially around Halloween, that you're looking for something a little bit creepy. Yes. Yeah, this movie's. I mean, it's something like The Shining mm-hmm. or Psycho. You can't watch. You can't watch it. It's not. It's not funfair movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the Avengers or. Uh, you know, when Harry met Sally, you can't just put it on because you want to watch it. It's mm-hmm. got to be it's 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 got to be like occasion appropriate or or situation appropriate. Mm-hmm. But watching it once a year at Halloween, I could see that. I mean, you did put this in your top five horror movies. Of I all did, time. I did, and there's a because there's again there's a lot to kind of pick up. There's the when you get directors that pay such attention to detail, um, like. Even with Kubrick and The Shining, there's so much detail that you need to watch again and again to pick things up. Like this time around, um, you know, I caught the Yes, I Can, right? And there was another book in the background in in the bedroom that was kind of on their headboard that I was trying to figure out what book that was because it it just said The Man and I don't know if there was anything else. So I tried to look that up and there was a book that came out around that time. Um, which was about um, an African-American um, political candidate. So, you know, the choices that they make, because they don't, don't go to the, some bookstore and just randomly put books on the shelf. All these things are very deliberate, so that's really good. The other thing I noticed um, was in the scenes after Rosemary gives birth and they're trying to keep her drugged up because they need the milk. Exactly. Right. And you can see... Mia Farrow as Rosemary, you can see the wheels kind of turning in her head and trying to figure out what they're doing to her and her trying to outsmart them. So you get this great scene with Patsy Kelly and Mia Farrow and she picks up the milk that she's just freshly pumped and then she tries to pick up like a teacup and and things that they fed her with and Mia Farrow goes, wait, 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 and grabs the spoon and watches Patsy Kelly's face as she puts the spoon into the freshly pumped milk. You never caught that before? I didn't. I I mean, I'm sure I, I, I paid attention to it, but to the the deliberateness on her face, the the just the 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 choices she made acting, I think was like, oh god, she's fucking one smart cookie. Yeah, that see you that know? was and that was me sitting here because she once she stopped taking the medicine, mm-hmm. she figured out something was going wrong going mm-hmm. on. Uh, and the baby crying was what did it for her. Right. And when I saw her do that, I was like, she she just, she just, she had figured it out. Now she proved it. Yeah. So there's there's just so much in this film to take in. So I, I, if you do watch it again, maybe you can kind of catch that because it's 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 part of that film experience is really taking it all in and and. Uh, I just enjoy it. I know you just like to watch movies sometimes, and, but sometimes no, I, I like to I like, really I get like, into it. I like to get into the movies. I like to understand them. I don't sit down to watch a movie looking to dissect it. Mm-hmm. It just happens, but that's also why we are doing this podcast, so that we can dissect them together. Yes. And like Tina did with her with her pig. With her pig. That's a Bob's Burgers that's a Bob's reference Burgers for any of you who don't know uh, what the hell he just said. You know, you know uh, like I said... To you earlier this morning, I enjoy movies. I don't watch movies, a lot of movies. I don't try to watch movies just for social commentary. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sometimes it 
presents itself and it comes out very heavy handed. For instance, Happy Feet and Wally. Mm-hmm. Both of those are ridiculously heavy handed. And it kind of ruins the movie for me. But when it's subtle, like you said this morning with Night of the Living Dead, talking about Martin Luther King being shot, and the last scene of that movie is them shooting a, a, a black man who's alive. Mm-hmm. There's there, there's That's a your lot final of social, boy. There's, yeah, there's a lot of social commentary, and I do agree with you. There is a lot of social commentary in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, different different ways they project stuff, fears of the community, fears of this of the country at the time of the others. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. So it's not that I don't like to. It's that that's just not usually my goal. But to be honest, we very rarely get to sit down and just watch a movie because we're watching a movie. It just doesn't... There's other things going on. Because we're, we're so busy and, and with work and all that all that garbage. But this is a neat way that we've made ourselves sit down yeah. and watch a movie. Yeah, and I think it, it helps kind of understand each other's tastes a little bit more where mm-hmm. our tastes do diverge. Do you have anything else you want to add before I ask my next question? I don't think so. Okay. So before I ask my next question, I just want to let everybody know that if they are interested in watching Rosemary's Baby, that they can find it on Amazon Prime. That um, is good information. Mm-hmm. And if you are an Amazon Prime member, I believe you can watch it without any additional cost at this That's point. That's correct. It's it free. is free right now. Yeah. I don't know how long they they, they, they move they rotate those movies in and out. But mm-hmm. So my next question is, what are you going to make me watch for next week's show? I have struggled with this one. You've got this look on your face like... You, the cat who ate the canary so i'm i have struggled with this one really hard because like we've said before there's a lot of stuff that you've seen that i haven't seen and there's not a lot of stuff that i've seen that you haven't seen i think that you are going to have to watch the live action version of rocky and bullwinkle are you serious (laughs) no oh god Because I have seen it, and that's a friggin' dumpster fire. Do, 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 do you know how? Do you know how to spell that movie? D i v o r c e. That's what that movie means to me. <laughs> I so actually, tomorrow was going to be our twelfth wedding anniversary, but guess what? Uh, I, I did struggle with it because I have two movies that I really want you to watch, and I think you're really going to like them both. Okay. Um, and it's not movies that you think I'm going to recommend. Which is what makes this so much fun. Okay, I'm I'm just getting more and more nervous. As you, I have, I have as you're decided. Trying this out. I have decided, though. I have decided that the movie that you are going to watch next week is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Ooh. Oh, are you excited about this? Oh my god! I've changed my mind. It is Rocky and Bowie. No. <laughs> uh, Halloween here. We've been watching a lot of scary yeah. movies lately. And for those of you listening, I am not a scary movie guy, as she said a couple weeks ago, or when we talked about this. I watch them. I don't really mind them. It they don't make. It's not like they make me sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not. It's not my bag, man. But I I do enjoy them. They drive me crazy. I have a hard time watching horror movies because I'm like. Oh, what? She, there's nothing on the floor. She couldn't have possibly. She just came in that door. How can she not get out that door? What? You don't. You, that's me. I over. I overanalyze it, and they're just trying to get some cheap fun and some thrills out of it. Which, lots of times, I'm about watching a movie for fun. But the horror movies. We watched Halloween two a couple weeks ago, and I, fuck that movie, because <laughs> I, there are so many things that I'm in this movie like that is not no. For instance, that hospital is huge, and they had four people there. Give me, give me a break. 
So Tucker and Dale versus Mo- versus Evil. I watched this movie when uh, I watched it for one reason. When I watched it, it's because of Alan Tudyk. Okay. I love Alan Tudyk. Okay. I, 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 I loved him in Firefly. He's just he's just one of those guys. Any role he does, he's great. I watched it because I didn't think it was going to be over the top gory. This movie is a masterpiece to me. This movie is a great movie, and it's probably one that we need to put in rotation. But we have watched more horror movies this year than we've mm-hmm. ever I've ever watched before. So we get one last one in under the wire before Christmas before Christmas oh, starts. Before Christmas starts, okay, yeah, I'm down with that. I figured you. Well, you have to That's, be. That's yeah. You have. To I be. have to be. Which is why eventually Rocky and Bullwinkle will happen. Ooh, okay. Guys, if you could have seen the look on her face when I said Rocky and Bullwinkle, <laughs> I, I I literally I literally <laughs> heard her phone speed dialing her attorney for for divorce. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That sounds good. Sounds right. good. Um, why don't, why don't we do some of that? Uh, Rosemary's Baby Lullaby to take us out. What? Yeah. But we have our own lullaby to take us out. Well, this this will take us out just a little bit, and then we'll go into that. Seriously, that's Lurch on the harpsichord. Hello! Have a nice week, everybody. Thanks for listening.